This episode of the Dr. Tina show that you're listening to is but one in a series of episodes all about Ozempic done right. You'll want to be sure to listen to all of them for the full story. You can find all of the additional related episodes linked in the show notes. Please note that I am no longer taking patients. I am unable to answer individual medical questions or make personal referrals for practitioners in your area. That said, I have created a free Ozempic Done Right mini course just for you that you can access in the show notes or via the link on my website at drtina.com forward slash Ozempic Done Right. Inside, I've answered your most frequently asked questions. And again, it's entirely free. So please go grab the free mini course right now at drtina.com forward slash Ozempic Done Right to be notified of further education on this topic. You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I'm going to be talking about a very controversial topic as of late, all over social media, all over mainstream media, and that is all about Wegovy, Ozempic, Monjoro, also known as semaglutide or terzepatide. These are all GLP-1 agonists, and they are being used for type 2 diabetes and weight loss. And we are going to dig into it because I have been knee deep in the research and I honestly think these drugs are absolute miracle drugs. So let's jump in. Hey guys, I've been using an incredible supplement for brain support and I wanted to share. Rise by Cured Nutrition is a nootropic blend of functional mushrooms, adaptogens, and cannabinoids that will leave your brain firing on all cylinders. It contains a blend of lion's mane, cordyceps mushrooms, rhodiola, ginseng, and broad spectrum CBD. Let me just tell you, I've been using all of these herbs and ingredients for a long time and I love them all. So to have them all in one place is incredible. I initially started taking Rise by Cured Nutrition because perimenopause brain is real and After reading over the label, I was sold. Rise by Cured also contains broad spectrum CBD, which aids in balancing the supplement as many of these nootropic focused supplements can be a bit overstimulating. So including the CBD in there helps avoid this. Right now, Cured is extending an exclusive offer to you, my listeners of the Dr. Tina show. You can grab Rise for 20% off by visiting www.curednutrition.com forward slash Dr. Tina and using coupon code Dr. Tina at checkout. That's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com forward slash Dr. Tina and coupon code Dr. Tina to save 20%. I've never been big on skincare, but recently started getting more serious as the signs of aging are definitely showing. I've recently started using an incredible skincare line and I'm excited and wanted to share with you. The past few years, my skin has been doing this annoying combo between an allergic prickly heat rash and a perimenopausal rosacea, and it drives me nuts. My buddy Andy Nilo owns a skincare line, and so I reached out to him for help. Andy is the best dude, and he kindly sent me a big box of products to try, and let me just say, wow, I am in love with Alatura skincare. Each and every product from Alatura is a game changer for my skin. The products feel amazing and my skin is calm and clear again. Alatura is handcrafted natural skincare. Their mission is simple, to provide customers a skincare wellness experience with products made of superior natural ingredients packed with nutrients, minerals, and natural growth factors. Alatura is the skincare line I've been looking for and it checks all the boxes. It's all natural, cruelty-free, non-toxic, non-GMO, and as organic as possible. Listeners of the Dr. Tina Show can now save 20% off your first order by heading to alatura.com. That's A-L-I-T-U-R-A.com. And be sure to use code Dr. Tina at checkout for the discount or simply click the link in the show notes. You're going to love it. 
First of all, these drugs are getting a really bad rap, you guys. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. I have my theories. I'll tell them to you later. But here's the deal. I recently polled my audience and asked them, hey, what questions do you have about these drugs? And the results were astounding. There were a lot of great, smart comments and questions, but oh my God, the ignorance around these drugs and the assumptions and the propagandized rhetoric that I was hearing over and over again was shocking to me. And I thought, oh my goodness, people have no idea how these drugs work. They have no idea how great they could be for the right person. I think they're life-saving drugs. I think they're amazing when done appropriately, and yet they're being so vilified. And what's even more shocking is that the functional medicine community is shitting all over them as well, which I thought of, of all people, uh, uh, that group would get behind this because they're not drugs, they're peptides. They're just strings of amino acids put together and they are peptides. Peptides are uh, kind of hormonal-like substances and they're big in the bodybuilding community and the biohacking community. Peptides have been around for a long time. Peptides were getting really big in the regenerative medicine space when I left practice. So I didn't pay as much attention to them as I should have because I was on my way out. But I have been knee deep in the research, you guys. I have literally bought every continuing education course I could get my hands on, every certificate course, every book. I have been digging into all the peptides. And we're not going to talk about all of them today, but we are going to talk about semaglutide and terzepatide. So Wegovi, and Ozempic are semaglutide, and Monjuro is terzepatide. Terzepatide is sort of like the second generation of the semaglutide. There has been such a propagandized push to vilify these peptides and scare people away from them, and I truly do not understand it. I will explain to you why I think it's being done completely wrong in the allopathic community, because the way they're prescribing it is not ideal and it's not conducive to longevity. But used correctly, I do think these drugs are miracle drugs. And here's why I say this, there is long-term data, and there have been studies going on for years Plus, like I said, in the biohacking and bodybuilding community, they've been using them for a long time with great safety ratings. In all of these studies that have been done most recently in the past few years, what they keep seeing is shocking. These folks are losing, not only losing tremendous amounts of weight, which is what is reversing their diabetes. That's the thing, you guys. So these are not... These are not like insulin-dependent diabetics who need insulin and will die without their semaglutide. That's not how this works. These are simply weight reduction drugs. And the actual side effect of the weight reduction is a reversal of the diabetes. And we'll get into more of that in a moment because fat cells in and of themselves are driving the whole process, in my opinion. But these folks are also having tremendous impact in a positive way on their cardiovascular health, on their kidney health, on their liver health, on their pancreatic health, um, brain health, depression reversed, anti-inflammatory impacts, impacts on rheumatoid arthritis, positive, like really effective impacts on some of these debilitating, horrific downstream effects that come when your metabolism's all screwed up. You guys know I beat the drum on getting your metabolic health in order, but some folks are so far gone that no matter if they do every single thing right that I preach, they still are gonna have a really difficult time getting it all tied together 
my question is this, why are we using these very safe drugs? And yes, there are some side effects we'll cover, but why are we using these otherwise very safe drugs as a last ditch effort to bring back the type two diabetic from the brink, to bring back the morbidly obese person from the brink? Why are we waiting until people are so far gone? And you know, I've said this before, if you get diagnosed with type two diabetes, the chances are better than not that you have been rocking a busted metabolism for 10 to 15, maybe 20 years. So all the damage that that causes has been going on in a low grade fashion as you slowly acquired more weight around your midsection, as you slowly acquired high blood pressure, as you slowly acquired cardiovascular disease. And they have drugs for all of these, right? I've said it before, type 2 diabetes is incredibly profitable. It's an incredibly profitable process for big pharma because there's all these drugs to treat the side effects of a busted metabolic process. And so by the time someone gets diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, they have been so metabolically deranged that so much damage has been done already. And they didn't even know it. It was silently creeping up. It was first, it was the maybe the high blood pressure and then it was the statin and then it was the metformin and then it was you know drug upon drug upon drug to try to lower the blood sugars. That's really the, the going strategy has been, let's lower the blood sugars with metformin and we'll reverse the diabetes, but that doesn't work so well. Now, I have a whole other theory about metformin. I am not against metformin. I think metformin's awesome uh, for a variety of reasons, but that's something we're gonna talk about today. The bottom line is when these folks' obesity is reversed, when their fat cells are shrunk down and they lose the weight, all of these other comorbidities are going away. So that tells me what I've been preaching all along is right. The root cause, the true root cause of so many of these disease processes, these lifestyle-induced chronic disease processes, the insulin resistance that comes with it, the heart disease that comes with it, the diabetes that it eventually comes down to is being driven by at the at the root cause level by the fat cell. The filling up of the adipocytes is driving these processes. That's not to say that thin people don't get metabolically busted because they do. But the problem in that group, and we call them the skinny fat or the tofi, a thin on the outside, fat on the inside, that group is actually just bone and fat. There's no muscle, right? I've talked at length about the importance of muscle. In the obese group, we've got the fat cells are full. And when fat cells fill up, they become pro-inflammatory. They, Your immune system rushes in. The immune system inside the fat cell becomes deranged. It's a whole process we won't get into right now. But when you reverse that process, all the other comorbidities improve. So that really kind of blows the health at every size hypothesis out of the water. And I mean no disrespect by any of this. It's just at the end of the day, we've got these chronic degenerative illnesses that are being driven by busted metabolic health, insulin resistance, you know, metabolic syndrome, prediabetes into diabetes, frank diabetes. I'm talking type two here. For the sake of this entire podcast, I'm talking about type two here, unless I specifically say otherwise. It's the fat cell. And the fat cell drives the process. So in a nutshell, in your brain, when you are dealing and struggling with obesity, there's sort of a feed forward mechanism and the fat cells themselves, they become deranged. They start signaling improperly. The brain itself stops hearing the signal correctly. The leptin and ghrelin 
the adipokines that are being secreted, all of that messes up things very badly with your metabolism. It, it further deranges your metabolism. So it's harder to get back and come back from. And it has a feed forward mechanism in the brain, which induces downstream inflammation as well. So you've got local inflammation in the flat, fat cell. You've got uh, downstream inflammation coming from the brain itself. And the whole thing turns into a hot mess. So if we have a drug that has pretty minor side effects, it's a peptide, again, it's a peptide, you guys. If we have a peptide that has pretty minor side effects, why aren't we giving it to everybody who's struggling with even the lowest amount of metabolic derangement? Like, why isn't this first line? Because I have found paper after paper after paper showing GLP-1 agonists significantly reducing visceral fat, GLP-1 agonists significantly improving cardiovascular health, literally regrowing heart tissue, growing neurons in the brain. I don't know of anything else that does that. There's very few drugs that we have or therapeutics that we have that regenerates neurons in the brain. It reduces inflammation in the brain. That's a huge, huge piece of this whole puzzle is neuroinflammation. I did a podcast some time back uh, with a dietitian and we talked about central sensitization as a pain, you know, it's a pain process and neuroinflammation and the downstream effects of that. So you can go back and listen to that. We'll link it up in the show notes. It's just wild to me. And the list goes on. I mean, I've got a whole list sitting in front of me that improvement after improvement after improvement after improvement. And my theory is this, these things are, I know you've heard some terrible horror stories. We'll talk about that. But these these peptides are so darn safe and well-tolerated for the most part. And they would literally eradicate the need for all of these other medications that big pharma depends on. So that's my theory. My conspiracy theory here is that these, there is like an inside propaganda machine coming from other pharmaceutical companies against the manufacturer because all of these drugs are owned by the same company. And so for the most part, and so the companies that own Lipitor, the number one selling drug in America, the companies that own the high blood pressure medications, the companies that own all of these other fancy, expensive, complicated blood pressure medications, cardiovascular medications, all of the things that busted metabolic health causes downstream, these pharmaceutical manufacturers probably don't want everybody on a GLP-1 agonist because if 96%, well, I'm sorry, 94%, as of 2018, 94% of US adults were metabolically busted. I would say it's more like 96 to 98 now because that was old data. If that many folks are headed down the pathway, we've big pharma who manufactures these other drugs are sitting on a gold mine, right? Diabetes is very profitable for them. We know when folks get an elevated waist circumference. For women, it's 35 inches. For men, it's 40 inches. We know those are the red flag zones. Those are not just the, oh, I'm up to there. It's okay. Like that's when you should be like sounding the siren. We know when those, that waist circumference gets hit. Another way to look at this is the um, waist to height ratio. So your waist should be half of your height. I don't care how you measure your height, centimeters, meters, inches, doesn't matter. Your waist should be less than half of that. So whichever one you want to go on, that's the red flag for significant increased risk for type 2 diabetes down the line. We have the data on this. If that's the case, and most Americans are sitting in that boat, including children, children, the rates of diabetes doubled in 2020, type 2 diabetes doubled in 2020 due 
due to lockdown. So if we've got this huge group of people sitting in this massive risk factor zone and they're all headed down the same path, which is diabetes, type two diabetes, why would we hold out on something that could reverse the process for them? Do we wait until somebody has a heart attack before we give them high blood pressure medications? Do we wait until somebody has a stroke or a heart attack before we offer them statin drugs? No, those are pushed early. They're pushed prematurely in many cases. Do we wait until somebody goes into full liver cirrhosis from fatty liver before we offer them, you know, a drug? We don't have any drugs for that really, but you get my drift. Why are we then therefore vilifying folks who want to take this for weight loss when they are clearly headed down that path? That's what gets me. That's why I'm so confused that the entire functional medicine community is against this and the entire mainstream media seems to be against these peptides being used. Now, the shortages you're hearing about, everybody's freaking out about the shortages. I've done some research. The only shortages I can find are not on the actual substrate. They're not on the peptide. It's on the pen, the injector pens. There's these little injector pens that are preset at different dosages. And it's the initial dosage pens that they're running short on stock of. So it's not the semaglutide that is we're having a shortage of. And the other interesting point is that you can have these compounded because the other argument I hear is, oh, they're so expensive. Yes, trizapatide compounded is a bit cost prohibitive. Semaglutide is pretty darn cheap, like really cheap in my opinion, for what you're getting and what it's replacing. Because I have folks that I know that are on it who have completely reversed their depression. Yes, it works as a, an effective antidepressant in the data, we have the data on it. I know folks who've reversed their IBS. Uh, I know folks who are having significant improvements in their PCOS. I know folks who have seen drastic improvements in their cognition and in their cardiovascular health. So, what I'm saying to you is I think we have a peptide on our hands that's actually readily available by compounding pharmacies at a re relatively affordable price that could change the face of medicine and yet we're vilifying it. So what are some of the reasons people are vilifying it? Well, there's this whole thing that came out with gastroparesis, which is paralyzation of the stomach. I do know somebody who started on a very low dose of it and experienced that. So that is real. That risk is real. Some of these other stories, I've talked to different doctors who've been prescribing this for a long, long time. They all think that the the fear around it is ridiculous as well because they've got lots of patients on it doing very, very well, reversing all kinds of chronic degenerative disease processes. They haven't, I mean, the numbers of people they've seen with gastroparesis are low to none. So I don't think it's that common. We don't have good data to look at on how common it is yet, but it's not that common. The fact that... It's bringing up pretty much a black box warning for people and people are freaking out about it is surprising to me because it's really not the hugest thing. Now, the folks that we're hearing about in the media, those folks had been on high doses for a long, long time. And I'm going to talk to you a minute about dosing it. I don't think it's being done right. I think the allopathic community has this wrong, but at least they're trying, right? So... I'm not sure the gastroparesis is the biggest thing to be concerned about. With semaglutide, the side effects of nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea tend to be much more significant than with terzepatide. Terzepatide is like second generation. It is the more expensive one. You can have it compounded too. It is a little bit price prohibitive for folks, but it's available. And it seems as if for most folks, those side effects go away as they move along their 
experience as they increase their dose. Now, some of them just can't tolerate the semaglutide. They'll get to a certain dose. They really start to see improvement in their weight loss journey and in their diabetes markers. And they just can't tolerate the side effects of the nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea. So that's, it's a thing. It is real, right? It's something to be concerned about. But I'm not hearing about that nearly as much with trisepatide. I tried to prescribe trisepatide to a few folks and it has been like pulling teeth, getting the insurance companies to pay for it. It's crazy. I'll talk about that later more in depth, but I'm shocked at how hard it is for folks to get their hands on this stuff when they're trying to go through their insurance because the brand version that you get from the regular pharmacy is really expensive. And so that is very cost prohibitive, but the compounded versions are not so much so. The other side effects that we're hearing about are uh, rebound weight, right? People go off of it and then they gain all the weight back. Well, here's the thing. Let's just put this in perspective. These drugs, I'll tell you the mechanism of action. These drugs do a couple things. One, they work centrally in the brain to decrease appetite. So they work on your ghrelin and your leptin and they decrease appetite. So you're less hungry. In the biohacking community, they're using that for intermittent fasting and for body composition. So there's that. There is some insulin secretion. You would think, oh my gosh, if insulin resistance is the problem, then having more insulin on the scene is a bigger problem. But especially when it comes to tercepatide, there is an insulin sensitization that happens. So the body and the cells become resensitized to insulin, which is freaking phenomenal, if you ask me. Like that's the miracle drug part. So we've we've got this insulin secretion thing happening But even with the semaglutide groups, they're still showing marked improvement in their diabetes. So it's, we don't have it all figured out with if it's elevating insulin just a bit, why therefore would we have improvement in insulin resistance? But we are seeing that it decreases glucagon secretion. It does all kinds of great things when it comes to your overall metabolism and the way glucose is handled in your body. Again, it decreases appetite. It decreases inflammation in the brain. I think a lot of what's driving a lot of this, the busted metabolic health and the comorbidity of obesity, it's like chicken and egg, which comes first, right? But I think a lot of that's coming from a central situation from a brain. So if we can decrease inflammation in the brain, we can do a lot of good for people. I also think that would significantly decrease people's pain. I do believe that some folks hurt more the heavier they get. And it's not just a weight on the joints issue. It's not just an actual mechanical issue on the joints. There's something about fat cells secreting their, they secrete cytokines. When we add, when we fill up our fat cells, our adipocytes, we are creating a more cytokine prone environment for sure. And so I think that that can be a feed forward mechanism that's driving a lot of people's joint pain, musculoskeletal pain, depression, of course. There's a lot to talk about and unpack when it comes to neuroinflammation, but trust me on this one. I understand that field very well. And if we can decrease neuroinflammation, we're talking holy grail type of treatment here. There's very few things that do that. Um, So we've got all these different mechanisms of action and the side effects themselves are not as significant and as horrific as we're being led to believe. There's also the concern, of course, about cancer. You're hearing concerns about cancer. Well, if you go to the Wegovi website, it actually gives you the pop-up and it tells you about the cancer. This was a specific type of thyroid cancer found in rats. Not found in humans, found in rats. 
So that's as far as they got with proving that one. Not to say it's not a real risk. If you've had thyroid cancer, you should, of course, in, in every case, I'm not your doctor. The, full disclaimer, I am simply providing all this information for education purposes. And so I'm not going to talk specifics of dosing. I'm not going to talk specifics of how to use it, but I am just trying to educate you on how it works and some of the data that I found. So with the cancer, if of course, if somebody has had thyroid cancer, be concerned and and talk to your doctor. But what I'm finding is a lot of doctors don't understand these drugs. Again, because I don't think this is being done right. And I'll talk about that in a moment. The other big concern is pancreatic issues. So let's talk about that a minute. When you lose a significant amount of weight really fast, you definitely can put a load on your pancreas and confuse things. You can put a huge load on your gallbladder. You can put a huge load on your pancreas. Your gallbladder, your pancreas, your intestines, your stomach, they're all kind of like BFFs. Liver is in there. So when something goes wrong with, especially gallbladder, pancreas, liver, when something goes wrong with one, something usually goes wrong with all of them to some degree. And so I've had patients with gallbladder stones who started having you know mild acute pancreatitis. I've seen liver enzymes elevate along with the gallbladder issues you know, and so forth. So I think of that as a triad. When we start having excessively fast weight loss, especially when somebody is just a complete hot mess of health, they've never exercised, they are completely metabolically devastated, they're extremely overweight, and they're losing excessive amounts of weight on a very high dose of one of these peptides, I could see how the pancreas could become a problem. So that to me made perfect sense. I'm like, well, that just that patient wasn't managed right. The other thing to consider is diabetics. When you get into severe type 2 diabetes, you are looking at potential risk for gastroparesis and some of these other issues. Like these are not uncommon side effects of severe diabetes. And so we're talking apples to oranges here. There's two different groups of people that could really benefit from these drugs. And I'll talk about both of them uh, here in a few. So- those are the big concerns. There were some kidney issues. I think those people had had induced severe nausea and vomiting. And so there was some damage to the kidneys. But it's crazy how these very few and far between cases are being blown way out of proportion. That's the part that's got me completely baffled. I'm like, wait a minute, why are we blowing these completely out of proportion when we've got another therapeutic intervention going around in the world with really strong data and study after study showing some severe complications, but can't talk about that, right? So, but we can, you know, poo-poo all over this one because some rats got thyroid cancer and a few people got gastroparesis. Like, do you see what I'm getting at here? I'm really confused why all the hate on this. And I, again, I do think it's coming potentially from other pharmaceutical companies. That's again, totally my guess. I'm just pulling that out of my head, but uh, I, I just can't figure out after reading about these drugs. I mean, I have literally sat down every single day for the past few months. And when I think of a condition, I put in GLP-1 agonist and that condition, plus the word scholar, because that'll pull up the scholarly articles, the, the scientific data, and boom, there's a study on it. Almost 100%. They have tested GLP-1 agonists against all of these different conditions. And in every single case, there was improvement. So I'm not saying it's the panacea for all conditions, of course, but I'm really interested in it for neuroinflammation and pain and depression and uh, cognition, improvements in cognition, right? So I think that there's something that happens in the menopausal state with the shift in, it's not just the shift in hormones because yes, that's very acute and it's significant when we start to lose our estrogen and we start to have our 
testosterone dip. And of course, usually there's been some low progesterone going on for some time, but I'm really interested in its impact on neuroinflammation, cognition, and downstream pain. Like that's really where my interest cued. When I put that into the Google and I saw the studies that came up, I was like, wait, wait, what? Why is nobody talking about this? So yes, we've got these secondary improvements in cardiovascular disease, et cetera, but that are happening in the studies of the diabetics, these are the step trials, they're called. There's a series of studies called the step studies, the step trials. And they just completed one on heart failure. Get this, you guys, heart failure. They looked at non-diabetics. They put them on GLP-1 agonists that had heart failure and there was improvement. There was improvement in the diabetics. There was improvement in the non-diabetics. I mean, name me a drug that can do that. It's reversing heart failure. This is phenomenal to me. This is just absolutely phenomenal to me. And the fact that it's being so, so vilified that anytime I see a large group of people go against something, I'm like, what is up? Like, who is feeding them this? And so that's why I've been really confused at the functional medicine community. Hey, functional and integrative healthcare practitioners, listen up. I've got something for you. Back in the day, I used to stock an entire wall's worth of lab kits for each specialty lab that I ran on patients. It took up so much room. Each kit had different instructions and it was a very tiresome process. On top of that, I would spend forever having to chase down the lab results once they came in by logging into all the different portals and websites. It was honestly a total time suck and time is money after all. But now there's a better way to order lab tests that I'm excited to share with you. Rupa Health is a tool that lets you order from over 30 specialty labs in a single portal. You can order all the tests that you normally do from companies such as Dutch, Vibrant, Diagnostic Solutions, and more. Rupa eliminates all the headaches by having all ordering, tracking, and results in a single place. And they also handle invoices, tracking shipments, automated follow-up, personalized instructions for completing the tests, and so much more. They can even facilitate convenient blood draws for your patients. The best part about Rupa is that it's free for practitioners. Signing up only took me a few minutes and the website is very user-friendly. Plus, all of your patient's labs can be found under one single platform. Go to rupahealth.com, that's R-U-P-A health.com to join a live demo or sign up and see how it works. And if you're simply a listener looking to order your own labs, I have a selection of tests at nearly wholesale prices that you can check out on my website at drtina.com forward slash labs. Have you been looking for an in-home infrared sauna? Look no further. I've done the research for you and I found the one. My sauna of choice is by Sunlighten. They've got 23 years in the business. Their quality is unmatched. They are directly involved with each unit from production, process, start to finish. Their heater quality, it's like surround sound of infrared heat. It feels delicious and not all infrared heat is the same. They've got ultra low EMFs. I know you guys ask about that a lot. It is third party tested and proven. They've got options for everyone from portable units to walk-in box saunas. You can save up to $600 off your purchase right now when you use the link in the show notes and you mention my name, Dr. Tina. I hope you enjoy your new sauna. It's the best biohacking tool I can think of for walking into winter. To their defense, let's get into that. 
These folks are being generally put on high doses, low doses, titrated up to high doses. Not every doctor's doing this. There's a lot of astute doctors out there doing this, right? There's a lot of weight loss doctors who've been using this for a long time on a lot of patients very safely, and they never get into these higher doses. But the standard, if you look these up and you look up dosing, is to get up to, with semaglutide, it's to go from 0.25 milligrams up to 2.5 milligrams. So we've got people way up there in the 2.5 milligrams. They're left on it forever. They're not told to strength train. They're not told to change their diet. They're not told, they're not taught how to eat. They're not taught anything. They just experience significant weight loss with fast and furious weight loss causes, comes a lot of problems. Uh, one of them being muscle loss. So you guys have all heard about the muscle loss concern, right? And I know Dr. Peter Atia was all over it. And after he put out whatever he put out, everybody was like, well, Dr. Atia said, you guys, Anybody who knows anything, I've helped a lot of patients lose weight, a lot of patients lose weight. And we've used HCG, we've used all kinds of different things. We've used a lot of mostly natural. But when somebody loses weight aggressively and quickly, they tend to lose about 25 to 30% of their lean muscle mass. Guess what the percentage is on semaglutide? 25 to 30%. So it's the same. It is the side effect of a severely calorically reduced diet. That's it. It's not the semaglutide. It's not driving muscle loss. Actually, there are mechanisms in these GLP-1 agonists that drive muscle protein synthesis. So you're being lied to about that and everybody's jumping all over it. And it's it's cracking me up because I'm like, do any of you know anything about weight loss? Because if you look at any weight loss studies, it the standard is to lose 25 to 30% of your muscle mass if you're not actively pursuing strength training. So these folks should all be on a strength training regimen. They should all be on a high protein diet, right? Macros on protein should be hit every day. Strength training three times a week at least, the the bare minimum, that's how these patients should be being managed. But we, of course, know that's not how they're being managed. They're just being given the drug. They're losing the weight. They're like, look how skinny I am. Well, what happens with that is they lose sometimes more muscle mass than they do fat. So their body weight goes down significantly, but you know it's about 50-50 at that point for several of them. And now when they regain the fat back because they went off the peptide and they don't have any lifestyle improvements in place, they don't have any lifestyle you know, strategies, they don't have any insulin resistant, you know, none of it's been talked about. None of it's understood. They're not living a metabolically sound life. They're not living a life conducive to good metabolic health. And then they go off the peptide and they gain the weight back. Well, now they're under muscled. They've lost a ton of muscle and they gain back all this weight and most of it's fat. So now they're fatter than they started when it comes to body composition percentages, right? Their percentage, if they if they started as 50% fat and 50% muscle and then, you know, and bones, soft tissue, and then they took the peptide and they whittled away and they did nothing. This is the same with any caloric restriction diet. I've seen this with keto. I've seen this so many times with keto, actually. You guys, I've seen people go on extreme keto diets and come into my office and they just look like a bag of bones. They just look like a saggy, sad, skinny person and they're frail and they never strength trained during the whole keto process, right? They just had extreme weight loss with keto. So this goes for any extreme weight loss where strength training is not emphasized and muscle synthesis is not being emphasized. So at least the keto folks were eating a high protein diet, so they had something going for them. But you get my drift? All this hype, all this vilification is just because it's not being done right. It's not the GLP-1 agonists. So we got to get that out of our heads. 
the mechanisms with how it induces muscle protein synthesis is not entirely understood, or at least I didn't understand it entirely. And I'm still looking into that, but it's there. I've read it. I've seen it. We are being misled on that one. Um, so let that go. If you're not strength training and you're losing weight, you're doing it wrong. That's why I tell you guys strength training is non-negotiable. Absolutely non-negotiable, right? 100% non-negotiable. If you're not lifting weights three times a week, you're not doing it right. That's just for maintenance. That's just for longevity. That's just for aging well. That's just for having a good metabolic health, right? We have to be strength training regularly. We have to be building muscle. I've told you again and again, my stance on protein. I prefer animal protein. I actually prefer red meat. I think it's very nutritiously dense. Uh, it's very easy to hit your macros with red meat. So I'm a big fan. Uh, you, you'll get a very comprehensive profile of nutrients and minerals when you eat red meat. So hitting your macros is key. You can add in eggs. You can add in Greek yogurt. You can add in what, I don't care. I don't care what people want to eat. That's fine. Whatever protein they choose, whether it's chicken or turkey. If you want to try to do it from a vegetarian or vegan standpoint, have at it. Good luck. That's going to be harder. But hey, if you can induce muscle protein synthesis with a protein-heavy diet or protein-forward diet, right? At least 30 milligrams a meal is the minimum, in my opinion. More for men, more if you're strength training a lot, right? And then making sure that you are strength training, I don't see why anybody would be losing significant muscle mass. And in fact, I talked to my strength and conditioning coach who I've worked with for years, and he has three clients who are on it, uh, all three very different. So one is a woman in her 70s, and she was significantly overweight. One is a woman in her, I think also 60s or 70s, who was moderately overweight. So maybe, I think the first one was more like 80, 90 pounds overweight. The second gal was like 40, 50 pounds overweight. And then he's got a gal a little bit younger than me, kind of same body composition. She's got a little bit in her midsection like I do, and she's not quite thrilled about it. So she was using it predominantly for just to lose a few pounds. And I'll say to that, before I tell you the results, I'll say to that, there's nothing wrong with that. I have no problem with that. That's not a vanity issue. That's an early sign of insulin resistance. This gut that I have that I can't seem to get off is an early sign of insulin resistance. Now, the insulin resistance isn't showing up on labs yet. It's not showing up on my continuous glucose monitor, but it's there. It's telling that there is adipose depositing itself in my midsection. That is telling me that I am headed down a insulin resistant pathway, right? So that belly fat is so clearly indicative of insulin resistance, you guys. And this is why I always say, if you can lose your gut, it's not a judgment call on people. I'm not make, trying to shame anybody or make anyone feel bad. When you have a gut, especially if it's visceral fat, you are looking at trouble. And that is a very clear indicator and early sign of, a, of what's to come, which is insulin resistance. So I built this way and this is how my family is and everybody turns into a round little apple <laughs> as they age in my family and I'm fighting it tooth and nail, but lo and behold, it's still you know doing a little job on me. So I see no reason why somebody even in that scenario shouldn't be using these. I think they could use a very low dose and have incredible success. And I've talked to several doctors who are practicing this way where they're using it. it folks think it's vanity prescribing, but it's not. We're optimizing optimal human performance. We're getting people in a really 
awesome metabolic state so that they can age well and they don't have degenerative joint disease and they don't have all these other things that come along with it. Hopefully that explains the bulk of it. And so I want to get to some of your questions here because a lot of you guys have been asking me, and I think I've answered a lot of them, but I want to just be clear. And I am probably going to do a part two because there's a lot to unpack here. I want to get into some of the deeper science with it so that I, this is just a quick overview, right? Somebody said, is it just a crutch? Absolutely not. Hopefully I've clarified that. We are trying to improve metabolic health and we have got, in my opinion, we've got to get the fat off. We have multiple studies showing that the leaner you are, the longer you live. We have multiple studies showing that the more adiposity you have, the more inflamed you are, period. So it is my firm stance. I'm with the former. The leaner someone is, the better their overall health, the longer they're probably going to live according to the data. So if insulin resistance is the number one cause of age-related illness in this country and obesity is the biggest driving force of insulin resistance, then why are we not giving folks these peptides early? And why are we not doing it with a comprehensive lifestyle treatment plan? That's what I'm getting at. It's being done wrong in the allopathic community. I totally understand why people think it's a crutch. I totally understand why it's being vilified in that capacity. But the folks taking it don't think it's a horrible thing. The folks taking it, I've heard, I've, I've talked to multiple people who were severely overweight who have lost it with GLP-1 agonists. And all of them said the same thing. This is a miracle drug. One of the things that it does is it, it, it removes the hedonic urge to eat that compulsive urge you get to eat, you know, and I, it, it creeps up on me too. I'm usually really good with controlling my appetite, but there's times when, you know, you're sitting there, it's nine o'clock at night and you start thinking about something you want to eat and then you start to ruminate on it. Right. And so that goes away. It completely goes away with, with these peptides, which I think is just miraculous because that's, what's driving people to eat the wrong things. Right. So if we can give them control back of their appetite, I believe if they're educated, I believe in human beings and I believe they're intelligent. And if we give them the right education and access to the right foods, which I know is easier said than done, they'll make the right choices. But getting adipose cells to shrink on a human being is probably one of the best gifts you can give them when it comes to their overall health and longevity of all their other organ systems, their brain. I mean, the larger your waist, the smaller the gray matter in your brain. For every inch on your waist that you accumulate, your brain shrinks. So we're dealing with this low-grade apathy, this low-grade dementia that's not even being acknowledged because folks are walking around as they are, right, in America. I mean, just go out, just go to the mall. I guess it depends on where you live, but where I live in Oregon, pretty much all over Oregon, it doesn't matter where you go, people are really struggling with their weight and it's causing all kinds of problems for them downstream, especially the young folks. I feel horrific for young children. And I'm not saying put kids on this and leave them on it and put them on it for the rest of their life. Let's teach them how to eat well. Let's teach them how to hit their protein macros. Let's teach them how to move. Let's teach them how to lift weights. Let's give people a leg up where we can, right? Okay, so let's get to some of the questions besides, is it a crutch? Is it a magic bullet? No, I hopefully have just explained that. I don't think this will work well without being fully optimized. And so that's the other group of people. I said earlier, it's, it's two groups of people here. So we've got the folks like my dad. My dad could really use this drug. My dad is morbidly obese. He's diabetic. I mean, Shoot, he's he's in bad shape, right? And he's in so much pain and he's so heavy, he can't even walk down the street. 
he, he can't even get down the driveway. So we can't get him exercising. It's just, we can't get him exercising. If he could drop 30 or 40 pounds, I don't even care if he does it without lifting weights. I just want it off of him so he can get moving and we can give him a leg up so he can get moving again. Cause I know once the pain is recited or it's less, and I know that once he's not, it's not literally carrying the weight of the world around on your body, he can start moving again. And this is one of the things I've done with many patients. I've, I've had, I've helped patients that were 400 pounds and we had to get the first hundred off before we could ever get them moving. Cause you just can't put that kind of load on those joints. These are joints that are not well, trained. These are joints that are not well conditioned. And then we end up, you know, people go out and pound on them. It's not great. So yeah, mild walking, getting in a pool if that's available. But a lot of people don't want to get in a pool when they weigh two, three, 400 pounds, right? So if we can give them a leg up and get some of the poundage off literally, and then we can get them moving, right? And then we can start implementing some of these lifestyle strategies. So that's the one group. The second group would be somebody like myself or many of you. I get messages from many of you every single day. Dr. Tina, I'm doing every single thing you say and it's just not working. I just can't get the weight off. I just can't get the belly off. My blood sugars are creeping up. My insulin's creeping up. I, I can't get a hold of it. I'm doing the hormones. I'm doing everything. And let's admit it. Functional medicine is expensive for a lot of people and it's cost prohibitive. Finding somebody to do bioidentical hormone replacement well is a challenge and often you have to travel to do it. So that's tough and that's expensive. I know these hormones are expensive. It's, it can all be quite expensive. In, in some cases, it's, it's quite reasonable, but when you start adding it all up, it can get out of hand pretty quick. And so shoot, a bottle of semaglutides anywhere starting, you know, it's about 100 to 150 bucks a month. That's something a lot of people can't afford and maybe they don't need all the other stuff, right? I do believe you need to be hormonally optimized. I do believe you need to be lifting weights. I do believe you need to be getting sun. I do believe you need to be grounding and meditating and managing your stress and doing all the things I talk about. But that said, what do you wanna do first, right? A lot of people don't wanna go to the gym because they're so heavy set and they're they're scared and they're intimidated. And I understand this. So Maybe if we get some weight off of them, regardless of their age, we could get them to start moving. But in somebody like that, who is doing all the things right, I think a low dose can be really life-changing for people. So I think there's application in a variety of different types of folks. And we shouldn't be poo-pooing it if somebody chooses that route. We don't poo-poo them or shame them if they take metformin. We don't poo-poo them or shame them if they take blood pressure medication. We don't poo-poo or shame somebody if they take antibiotics for pneumonia, but we shame them for wanting to get, you know, 30, 40 pounds off that's causing them cardiovascular disease. I just, I don't understand it. But if your health is a complete disaster and you're not willing to put in any of that legwork, then this is not a magic bullet by any means. Sure, you might lose the weight, but you're going to gain it back. So you have to implement the lifestyle strategies. All right, so let's see. I've got a lot of notes here and I didn't even cover half of them, but shoot. I mean, this drug decreases fasting serum insulin, you guys. This is, it decreases triglycerides. It improves systolic blood pressure. It improves diastolic blood pressure. It improves C-reactive protein levels. It decreases hemoglobin A1C levels. If you guys know your lab work, the, this is profound. It improves neurodegenerative diseases. It has been shown to improve and assist with longevity. 
and anti-aging. It helps gut dysbiosis. I mean, the list just, the list goes on and on and on. Some of your questions that I have gotten here. So what about giving it to kids? I think I've addressed that. Only as part of a comprehensive lifestyle modification treatment plan. Lifetime use, I think I addressed that as well. Paired with a high protein diet, would this minimize loss of lean body mass? Bingo, that's what I said earlier. Yes, of course. Is it a good tool if monitored? I absolutely think so. If it, I think it's a remarkable tool if monitored. What are the side effects? I think I've covered those. I'm not too concerned with muscle loss if people are strength training. Hair loss, let's talk about this. Most of you dealing with severe hair loss are probably sitting with excess weight on you and in a PCOS type state. I, I think most people could agree with that. Um, I know that there's been some hair loss post COVID with people, but generally speaking, when we see hair loss in someone, there's a hormonal derangement. It's usually being driven by a PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome type scenario, which at its root, I'll do another podcast on this another day. PCOS is just metabolic dysfunction. I don't know why they call it that because really it's just metabolic derangement and you treat the metabolic derangement the same way everything else. Every time I mention, I do like an ask me anything on my Instagram, people say, what about PCOS? I'm like, it's literally exactly the same strategy as everything else I talk about. Lift weights, get sun, eat protein, sleep, meditate, all those things, right? So I think that's where a lot of that hair loss is coming from. Um, I think if you lose weight drastically fast, you're going to have hair loss because these folks are malnourished, right? I, I didn't use that word earlier, but you take somebody and put them into a severe, you know, they completely wipe out their appetite. They go into a severe caloric restriction. They're going to be malnourished. They're not going to be eating at all. And when they do eat, they're going to choose garbage, right? If they're, if they're prone to eat garbage and they stay on garbage and nobody tells them otherwise or encourages them otherwise, and we can't control people and what they do, but you know, they're just going to eat less of the garbage food they're eating. Of course, they're going to have hair loss. That's a side effect of malnourishment and mineral and vitamin deficiencies, right? So we talked about the gastroparesis and the delayed gastric emptying. Cycling to reduce leptin. Well, we want leptin, we just want to hear it. We want leptin resistance to be over, you know, overcome, if you will. So leptin resistance is a condition that happens in the brain where the body's secreting leptin, the fat cells are secreting leptin and the brain's not hearing it. And so you end up with a appetite problem. And so we want leptin resistance to be overcome. Is it more good than bad? I absolutely think so. What about berberine? Berberine, you guys, weak GLP-1 agonist, not nature's ozempic. I'm sorry. Yes, it has profound impacts on blood sugar handling, but I believe the magic of these GLP-1 agonists is in the weight loss and in the fat shrinkage of the cells, right? We, your adipocytes grow and shrink. You accumulate them as a young person and then as an adult, you generally are kind of set with the amount of cells you have. You don't get more cells. And so you fill them up. And as they fill, they get more inflamed and more inflammatory and more cytokine producing. This is why it's so devastating when young children are obese because they're developing fat cells. They are now going to have more fat cells for the rest of their life than if they had stayed lean. And that means they're always going to be struggling with their weight. 
because they have way more fat cells to fill up and it's really challenging. So let's see, is it dangerous? Is it dangerous? Everybody kept saying, is it dangerous? This is why I think it's been so propagandized. Does digestion stay messed up? No, that's that reverses itself. So I don't know about some of these cases where folks were severely overweight, severely diabetic and on very high doses for a long time. I'm sure they're gonna have some digestive issues, but who's to say that's from the ozempic and not just severe dysbiosis, right? I think we're blaming one thing for a disease process that's been going on for a long time. And I'm not discounting what's going on with them, but yeah, gastroparesis, generally reverses itself, of course. It's just a temporary process while the peptide is interacting with those tissues and impacting them. And then once that's removed or out of the system, digestion returns to normal. Long-term data, a lot of people asked about long-term data. I just shared that with you. Yes, there is long-term data. And somebody asked about, will long-term use lead me to become skinny fat only if you don't build your muscle and prioritize your protein, right? This is, think of it as a tool in addition to all the things. If we add in the tool to all the things, we're doing all the things for optimized metabolic health and insulin sensitivity and longevity lifestyle. And then we add in a tool that can help with that. That's the perfect scenario. But I also think it would be effective in helping somebody like my dad, who is just a complete He's, he, he, I love him, but he's a dumpster fire of health and he needs some help to get started, to get back on track. How to track skeletal muscle mass. I like DEXA scans. Those might be harder to come by. There's different ways that you can, there's in-body machines, there's calipers where you can do pinch tests, but, oh, I was telling you about my coach. I didn't mean to go off topic there. Puppy distracted me. So my coach had these three women and he said in all three cases, they, I think they were managing and monitoring their muscle mass. And the only reason they were losing muscle mass was because they weren't prioritizing their protein. Because as you can imagine, if your appetite significantly reduces, there's kind of a, I don't know about you, I've had this happen to me naturally where my appetite just goes away and I've lost a lot of weight and it had nothing to do with anything but stress. And you you get confused for a minute. You're like, I'm not hungry. What should I eat? Right. And that can be hard to prioritize protein when you don't have any appetite because it sometimes doesn't sound appealing. But as soon as they got back on track and really started emphasizing their protein intake and making sure that they hit their macro goals, they were fine and their muscle mass came back up per DEXA scans. So that's, there you go. I thought that was really compelling information. Probably the best information I've gotten from anyone. I've talked to lots of doctors and lots of patients, but I hadn't talked to a strength and conditioning coach who actually had clients on it and was kind of tracking how that was going for them. So is it really safe if you aren't diabetic? I really hope that the last hour I have convinced you, yes, I believe so. This is not about diabetes or not diabetes. This is about fat cells and how many of them do you have? So how do you wean off? Uh, Great question. I don't want to get into dosages, but I will tell you with peptides, they cycle them. And so generally speaking, even with hormones, when I do bioidentical hormone replacement with patients, we cycle them. So we do a cycle of them. We do several months on, usually 90 days, and then we'll take a month off or two. I cycle low-dose naltrexone. I cycle everything because I don't want those receptors to get too overly desensitized. And I want those cells to be sensitive to whatever it is I'm giving the body. And so I highly encourage everybody to... I. 
I cycle antidepressants in patients. I cycle them. And we work very closely with them to make sure when they're off the cycle that they're feeling okay, right? So it does help to work with someone who knows what they're doing. But this, like any other peptide, I believe, and when I talk to folks in the biohacking community who've been using it for a long time or when I read their work, that's the consensus is you cycle these things. You use them as a tool. All right. And then a lot of people ask about, what about Ozempic with hypothyroidism? What about Ozempic with this? What about Ozempic with that? Um, I think that anytime we can improve metabolic health, we're probably going to more likely than not improve those conditions. So autoimmune disease, inflammation-driven diseases, you know, any of those processes are going to improve when you improve metabolic health. And we will improve metabolic health by shrinking the fat cells. Even if those people are eating like garbage, they're still going to improve their metabolic health while they're on it. So I, I'm betting money. I don't have any data on this, but I'm betting money just from what I've heard on the street and talking to people who've been on it that everything gets better. Their skin gets better. Their acne clears. Their, oh, the other part I didn't mention is there's data around cravings, not just for food, but for other things. More of that addictive qualities are being ameliorated. People just don't want their alcohol. They don't want to take some of the drugs they were taking. Like people just don't want the stuff when their brain, I don't know if their brain is calming down, the neuroinflammation is being addressed. I'm not really sure, but there is this, that that hedonic urge to consume the things, all the things that are not good for us uh, seems to be somewhat ameliorated. And I think that's really promising. That's probably why big pharma doesn't want everybody on it. Uh, a lot of people said there just can't be a magic pill. Maybe, but again, only if done in context. Let's see. Oh, here's a good one. What about people who use it to look heroin chic? What are the long-term risks? I think I addressed that. If you want to waste away down to absolutely nothing but skin and bones, you will end up skinny fat and you will end up in a metabolic mess. I've done that to myself. It's not a good plan. <laughs> I did that when I didn't know better when I was younger. Uh, it was all, all the rage to be heroin chic around here back in the 90s. And you will end up in a complete disaster of metabolic health. So of course, uh, there is, it's not a good plan. You, we're not using it to become heroin chic. We're using it to get inflammatory fat off of our body as needed while we're lifting weights and leading a metabolically optimized lifestyle. Are people having bad side effects if they're on it for diabetes, not weight loss. Let's address this. This is where I was like, God, people really don't understand how this works. Everybody's gonna have the same side effects because it works the same in the body. I explained the mechanism of action to you. It is working by doing all of the different processes I mentioned, but most notably decreasing appetite. And so the semaglutide has the more common side effects of nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, Usually most people just report nausea though, to be totally truthful with you. I've asked a lot of people who've taken it. Uh, it's just some nausea, tends to go away. Terzepatide seems to have way less, way, way less side effects. And that's gonna be the same for whatever condition you walk into it on. I, whatever you come to it with, you're a human being, it's gonna impact you the same way. It has nothing to do whether you have diabetes or not. That's why I think it's so funny that they release this drug as a diabetes drug. Like why didn't they just release it as a weight loss drug? Because that would take care of the diabetes. Do you get what I'm saying? If we just get the weight off, the diabetes resolves because the diabetes is being driven by these adipocytes being full and being inflamed. Why do people get Ozempic face? Because you have fat pads in your face. 
And if you lose fat too quickly, too aggressively, your fat pads will shrink. So I've had this happen to me when I went through a divorce and I was severely stressed out. I was a single mom. I was trying to finish two medical programs. I lost a ton of weight really fast. I mean, it was so severe that people were like, do you have cancer? And I did not, but... I did get Ozempic face, even though I wasn't on Ozempic. It was because I just completely depleted myself. You can also imagine, like I said, a lot of these folks are malnourished. So they're malnourished, they're losing weight too fast, they're losing their fat pads. So as long as you're eating a protein forward and focused diet and you are strength training, you should not be withering away and having your face wither away with you. And I think a lot of the skin you're seeing, like this, the skin itself starts to look sallow. It starts to look pale. I think that's malnourishment at the end of the day. It's not the Ozempic doing damage to your skin. There might be some impact on collagen. I don't know yet. I haven't looked into actually how it impacts collagen specifically, but I will. That's on my list of things to look at. But I more often than not would say that's the same way people look when they become anorexic or when they lose weight too fast. I've seen the same face, right? The skin gets kind of gray and thin and their color's not good and they lose their fat pads and they look gaunt, right? We've probably all seen that. Potential benefits for severely obese. Yes, yes. I I just, I think this is truly a miracle drug for people out there, especially if they're dealing with severe obesity, as long as they're willing to put in the work to live a lifestyle that is conducive to longevity. Are there better alternatives? No, this is it. It's a class of drugs and there is a new so second generation is trisepatide. There's a third generation being developed and studied right now, and it seems to be phenomenal. So that would be the better alternative, but I don't think that's available yet. Why would you take this given the side effects? Why not save it for a type one who actually needs it? See, that's where the misinformation is. You see that? Type ones don't need this to survive. This isn't an insulin-dependent diabetic situation. This is a drug to help you lose weight. Now, type ones, when they're on insulin, they do tend to gain fat. That's one of the side effects. And so when I talk about a lifestyle of metabolic health, the same rules apply for a type one as they do a type two. And when I talk about this online, I always get the type one mamas come in and start yelling at me over God knows what. And I get it. They're defending their children, but type one's I have a good friend who is a naturopathic physician who is a type one diabetic since she was age nine and she specializes in this and Dr. Laura Neville. And she preaches the same thing I preach from the stage, lift weights, get sun, eat plenty of protein, meditate, keep your stress modulated. It's the same treatment, you guys. It doesn't matter if you're type one or type two. I'm so tired of people trying to argue with me about that. There is no difference. When I'm talking about metabolic health, it doesn't matter if you're insulin dependent or not. If your blood sugars are whacked out, we have a problem, right? So it's all about blood sugar regulation. And someone said, crazy how someone so smart as you will pump anything in them to get skinny fast. Who's to say I even am trying it? <laughs> if I do, I'll let you guys know. But Who's that? Like, what a, I, some of the comments just cracked me up. Somebody said a good, ask a good question. I didn't lose any weight after a month. I ate less, walked more. Is it too small of a dose? Yes. Probably just didn't give it enough time. I would, from what I've heard, it can take every, here's the thing. Everybody needs a different dose from what I'm hearing. Some people can microdose it. Others really need to go up to a higher dose before they start to notice an impact. I have one friend who was on it for four months, she said, before she even lost a pound. So 
It really depends on the person. I think it depends on how busted someone's metabolism is, probably how much weight they have to lose. So I don't think throwing the baby out with the bathwater after a month, eating less and walking more, I mean, that's cool. But are you lifting weights? Are you living a metabolically optimized lifestyle? I don't know, right? So lots of variables there to consider. What foods is it in to find a natural source? It's not. There is not a natural source. This is a synthetically derived peptide and it is what it is. Let's see. Oh, does do you lose weight from your connective tissues? Again, that goes back to me looking into collagen, which I promised to do and I will I will address on an updated second part to this. Is it worth it for someone who is overweight and diabetic? Yes, absolutely. That is specifically the best candidate. Does resistance training mitigate muscle loss? 100%. Yes. A lot of people ask me, how do I convince my friends it's not worth it? The side effects, it's so dangerous. That tells me that that person is really prone to propaganda and isn't willing to look into the data. It takes all, it took me all of 10 minutes. And granted, I'm skilled at this, but it took me all of 10 minutes to go from, oh my gosh, is this really as horrible as they say it is to, oh my God, this is a miracle drug. I'm not kidding. Within 10 minutes, I was like texting every single person I know who knew anything about it, who was prescribing it, who was using it, who was, you name it. I was like, tell me everything. So I think that anybody who's super concerned about their friends being on it might just be a little jealous that their friends are losing weight. Does this help someone with reverse metabolic dysfunction long-term? with diet and exercise. Bingo. Yes. I do believe, and I don't have the data to support this, but this goes back to that. I think there is a switch in the brain, you guys. I think there is a switch that gets flipped. And I think it's happened to me. That's why I think there's a switch. I watched it happen to my mother a lot sooner in her life. I watched it happen to my father. I watched it happen to a lot of people in my life. There's this metabolic switch that happens and people go from gaining a tiny bit of weight to a lot of weight. Now, I did not gain a lot of weight, but something is off and it's not just menopause. And I'm so tired of everybody saying, oh, it's just menopause. Something is off. And I know it's at the brain level because my pain skyrocketed and I had a myriad of other symptoms, but there's something there. And I know that it is intimately tied to the metabolic processes. And I am, I could give you a more comprehensive scientific explanation of it, but for the sake of simplicity, let's just call it a switch. I think a fuse blows, if you will, and we need to reset the breaker. I think this drug might do that. I, I'm very interested to see how some of the folks I know who have been on it for a little while or who are just starting it long-term, they all are metabolically optimized for the most part. All of them are lifting weights. All of them are eating plenty of protein. All of them live a really uh, insulin resistant life or insulin sensitive lifestyle. But I'm interested to see how going off of it, how do they respond? And did they do enough for long enough to reset that breaker? That's just my hypothesis again, something I've been thinking about. And I've got to look a little bit more and see if I can find more data around it with the neurophysiology. Does it make you lose muscle instead of fat? I don't think so. I think it just makes you lose weight because you are calorically restricting. So you choose how that goes by how you live your life, right? And then make the appropriate choices. Will it make you skinny fat if you do all the things? Because I always say all the things. No, it won't. I know plenty of people who are on it, who are very well muscled, who have incredible physiques, who have incredible metabolic health, incredible labs, and they use it 
they cycle it, they use it when they need to, to get themselves back in. They start to get a little fluffy and they use it to get back into check. Because I'm telling you, my mentor taught me this 20 plus years ago. Always keep a sharp eye on your waist circumference. If you start to get a little fluffy in the midsection, it is a clear indication that you are starting to lose some of your insulin sensitivity. And that is facts. That's straight up facts. He told me that decades ago. We have the data to support that. That is facts. So I actually don't think it is a terrible drug for people or peptide for people to try when they are getting a little fluffy, when they want to keep their metabolic health intact for longevity. So with that, I will close. I know there's a lot here to unpack. I've got a lot more on this eight pages, 10 pages of notes that I want to share with you, but I wanted to dispel some of these myths and get you guys thinking, how can you get it? Where can you get it? I'm not sharing that. I don't know but I want you to understand it so we can quit vilifying it and we can quit really giving people a hard time that are on it because they're trying to improve their health. And if they're using it as a crutch, heck, how many people do you know that live off of five different pharmaceuticals and they don't do a damn thing for their health, right? We've all got them in our lives. We love them. They take their blood pressure meds, their statins, their antidepressants, their Cialis, all the things, right? They're on all the medications because their metabolic health is a disaster. We don't give them any grief. Why are we vilifying people who are trying to lose weight so that they can improve their health, right? So with that, I'll close. If you guys like this episode, I'd love to hear from you. If you have more questions, anything I didn't cover here, hit me up. You can email us at podcast at drtina.com and that's D-R-T-Y-N-A. And if you like this episode, please follow me on YouTube. I'd love to have you guys come over there. We're building a small tribe. It's great. We're getting episodes up and trying to make that happen. And you can also subscribe on your favorite podcast player. We really appreciate it when you rate, review, and subscribe. It helps get it helps the algorithm get the message out to more. So with that, I will close. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. If you're looking to take back your health, it's time for you to listen to the Real Foodology podcast. From the producer of The Dr. Tina Show comes one of Apple Podcast's top 10 nutrition shows hosted by integrative nutritionist and real food activist Courtney Swan. The Real Foodology podcast is on a mission to change the way we eat. Courtney interviews doctors, food experts, health professionals, and nutrition pioneers to bring you the best info so you can thrive. Somewhere along the way, we lost sight of how impactful our food choices are. But it's never too late to start on the path of better health choices. 
You'd be so surprised how resilient our bodies are when we start taking care of them. Yes, it's overwhelming, but that's why Courtney's here to help. She breaks it down for you and makes the information more accessible so that you can make more informed decisions in the grocery aisle or restaurant. Listen to the Real Foodology podcast today on your favorite podcast app.